filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So at Giant, uh, the Giant near me, they they don't have like they've got the two doors you have to go through to get into the store, but it's not close together. They're like they're like fifteen feet apart, and there's like a little area where carts are, and there's like random impulse buy items. There's like we've all been in grocery stores in the suburbs before, Jason. We know how this works. Why well, do I? There's one. There's another one near me that does not have room for any of this stuff. So I'm being detailed for our listeners. It's a, a audio podcast. They do not. They do not see a sketched out version of this. An audio you didn't draw a sketched out version world. for us either. So you go past the like barrel of random San Bellegrino cans of their various um, fruit flavored sparkling water and some other like barbecue sauce and other stuff i i don't know why that stuff is there that you would be going to grill and you would run in and be like oh my god i need barbecue sauce there it is right by the door great um but beyond the barbecue sauces but before the giant wall of of uh various tortilla chips is a display that is just maryland flag uh beer koozies for three dollars and i saw them from afar and i immediately like like almost comically took like a 90 degree turn. Like you meet, like I was walking straight and it was like, whoop and went straight to it, Mr. Bean it, <laughs> spun on my heel and went back into the store and just, uh, went and got the stuff I was getting and also bought this beer koozie. They don't actually need, but you know, it's, it's a Maryland flag beer koozie. So of course I, I got one. You only bought one though. Only one. <laughs> it wasn't, look, I, I think the that story is actually the most surprising part of the story. I think the story gives me that this was not a well thought out maneuver. It was I saw a thing and I went and grabbed it with my hand and then carried it to a place where I could exchange <laughs> something for it. This was like lizard brain level brainstem thinking. This was not a complicated plan. Uh, Maryland brain level instead of lizard brain. Well, I got a Vir- I, how many Virginia flag uh, beer cozies do you have? Or are there any? I'm sure there are some. Your flag. I don't think I have Sad blue background. There's a naked lady on that. A lady. There's a naked lady on that. I don't think they would allow that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to outlaw it, and then cooler heads prevailed. Yeah, Virginia loves their flag so much they tried to ban it. It's because Virginia has a garbage flag. You could come up with a better flag, is all I'm saying. It is a bad flag. It's just it's lame. Richmond has a better flag. It has a it has a river man pulling his riverboat along. It yes, that's better, but it's better over an incredibly low bar. DC has a much better flag than Virginia. Yeah, that's clear. Uh, okay, I mean, many uh, Ohio has a much better flag than Virginia as well. Yes, also true. That's true. Virginia and, has and a better flag. That's the point. Great, great, yes. great Britain has a better flag. Uh, Slovakia has a better flag. Which, I mean, if we're going to name things that are better uh, than Virginia's Slo- flag, we're, we're going to be here all really? day. Is the Slovakia flag really that good? I don't think so. It's, hey, hey, we're, we're not saying good. <laughs> then, then, I'm better. trying to get you. I'm trying to get off of this subject, and you're not letting me. Let me in. Let me start the show. Can I start the show? I don't know. Hey, hey, welcome in. Uh, no, I can't start the show. 
This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It is not a podcast about flags, I swear. Fun uh, with flags? <laughs> did you just make that reference? I, 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 we're all from blackandredunited.com. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, and I'm flabbergasted that Ben just flabbergasted. How I Met Your Nerd reference. Um, no, the Big Bang nerd. Yeah, that's much worse, though, Ben. Yes, no, How I well, Met Your yeah. Nerd is the Big Bang Theory. I just couldn't think of the actual name of the show. <laughs> bing bong. Anyway, theory. bing bong. That's not my Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> this is... This is the most off the rails my introduction has ever been. Uh, DC United drew this weekend one-to-one outside of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, We're going to talk about that game, and we're also going to preview DC United's upcoming game against NYCFC at RFK Stadium. Uh, That'll be this Sunday, 7.30 on national TV, Fox Sports 1. We will have our good friend, Raf Naboa E. Rivera, in to help us preview that one. He's from HudsonRiverBlue.com. Before we do anything... Please, God, let this go quickly. Ben, what are you drinking? Peach juice and bourbon. Good work. No story behind it? It didn't have to be that quick. Well, actually, there, there actually is a story behind it because, as everyone knows, I am pro-Virginia at all times. But um, the farmer's market near my house sells delicious uh, canned goods and uh, from a company that's out of Frederick, Maryland, and they sell delicious peach juice, among many other things. And I had to have it, and it is delicious. And I poured bourbon in it, and that is delicious. So, hooray, suburban, rural Maryland in this case. Okay, uh, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, earlier I had a nice gin ricky, but uh, that was with dinner. Excellent. Um, and then I didn't really have time to make another one. Uh, I don't know if I even have enough limes to make one more, um, in that I might not have any more limes, but, uh, <laughs> so because we were about to start the show, uh, I grabbed what was available and what was available is a bottle of Sam Adams cream stout, um, okay. is kind of not the beer for the weather because it's super humid because there is a storm. You, you may even be able to pick it up on my microphone because the thunder is still because the, yeah. the, the skylights over me are banging pretty hard and wow yeah. the trees are being violent out my window right now yeah or, my, a, or mine because the next cell gonna, is, yeah, cur- gonna, is currently uh, over richmond we have we three all, phases uh, of the storm and yeah. all of them are basically apocalypse right um so i grabbed what beer was on hand and it's it's i never bought or had the their cream stout before um and like all just about every sam adams beer it's fine it's good it's not great but it's good um is, is this one of their nitro beers no, I had that previously, and the, the nitro cream stout is better. Um, but this is still Just, pretty. They're, good. They're, Go ahead. Their nitro ads on Spotify are driving me insane, so I hate them oh, I out of spite for their ads. That's fair. I can I can see just disliking something blindly because of its ads. I do it all the time. I don't have any experience with Geico, but I I wish their company would fold tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the cream stout it's pretty good. Um, it's got like a. A nice chocolatey note. It promises a coffee note that's not there at all, but it's still a fine cream stout for what it is. This weekend, we uh, we rearranged some furniture, and uh, as a part of that, we uh, cleaned off our bar that had a whole bunch of um, 
liquor bottles on it. And Anne Louise said, this is ugly. And when we were moving it, it was cleaned off. And she's like, that looks so much better being clean. And so we, we found room to conceal a lot of those bottles um, and put some nice, the nice looking ones on top for display. And some of the ones that are mostly empty did not make the cut because they're mostly empty. And so uh, I was given the directive by my wife to uh, finish those mostly empty bottles. And so tonight I am drinking a Boulevardier cocktail because it is a cocktail that involves rye whiskey and Campari, two of the mostly empty bottles uh, that were there. So I found a cocktail that is delicious and combines those two. So it's kind of spicy and kind of bitter. Um, It's got some sweet vermouth to kind of level it out. Um, And it's a a tasty cocktail. Uh, Way back in the day, um, this is a Campari uh, related my friends working at the front page in DuPont kept trying to come up with like the worst drink humanly possible. It was just, what can we do to make the worst drink ever? And they had multiple people with multiple levels of bartending and drink making experience putting was their warm Campari. The answer, uh, <laughs> no, but Campari kept being involved. It kept <laughs> coming up in all of these various terrible drinks. I and mean, some of them were so bad. It was just like, it just made you depressed. It wasn't even that it tasted bad. It just like made, it took the wind out of your sails. Um, so we were talking about all of these. We we're telling someone's girlfriend about all these different drinks. She's like, why do you guys keep having Campari in these drinks? And at like 25, you don't necessarily have the good sense to understand that Campari has its place in, in certain things. And, you know, we tell her a story, blah, blah, blah. And every, it sort of settles. And this guy comes in from outside and he wants to order drinks for his table. And he orders like four different very complicated drinks. And the last thing he orders, he's like, for me, I'll have uh, Campari on the rocks. And all like six of us just lost it um, (laughs) because we were not prepared to hear that at all uh, moments after we had told that story. It's actually a nice before dinner drink. I won't lie. And and that's what he was doing. That's what what he was up to. But we did not know. We just knew it was a way to mix in things that would end horribly wrong for everyone involved. So, right. It is a very, very bitter drink. Yes. It has to be handled delicately. It's good with gin. Yes, it's good with it's good playing second fiddle to lots of spirits. Actually, Um, let's talk about soccer because this has gone on for a while, and I apologize to our listeners who don't like that part of the show. Uh, DC United came from behind this weekend in Bridgeview, Illinois, to draw the Chicago Fire one to one. The equalizer coming from Patrick Niarco as he headed in a Luciano Acosta cross following a short corner. this game was sloppy. Uh, I don't think this is the same weather system we're experiencing now that they had in Chicago on Saturday, but um, I'm sure the conditions are pretty similar as far as wind and rain. Um, Life-threatening apocalypse, maybe not. Yeah, it was colder there. That's true. Uh, this, is, this is more of a subtropical system. That was, I don't know, last vestiges of, of winter death in Chicago. Um, I still ended up with surprisingly mixed feelings from this one. It was nice to see United be arguably the better team on the day uh, and getting a road point in bad conditions while missing several starters, uh, including your entire starting central midfield. There's not a lot to complain about that, but we weren't very good in this game either. Like watching this game, like people were like our guys were slow of thought and not making their passes and some of that's on the conditions, but it was still like really frustrating to watch, I thought. But we still came out of it with an okay result, all things considered. And yeah. I'm just kind of of mixed minds about this game. 
I mean, as soon as they showed the for, like the actual conditions, uh, you know, when the video comes in, it, it's like, yes, it's this bad. It's this windy. It's this rainy. It's this miserable. Um, you factor that in with Nick DeLeon was at, at training giving interviews on, I think, Wednesday. So he must have fallen ill Thursday. So they had n- no real time to work on a new system um, in a week where Sarvas is already out. Um, the spindle is out as well. Um, so the, anti- the, you know, what was reasonable to anticipate in this game was like, look, it's This game's going to suck, uh, for everyone involved, but hopefully, you know, you get one or three points out of it and you, you move on to the next one without much thought. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. I, I wasn't surprised that the game boiled down to two set piece goals because playing constructive soccer was near impossible, uh, for much, long stretches of this one. Um, I do think United had their chances to go on and win the game um, rather than Especially just like, early. Right. Um, you know, Chicago is not good. Um, so they really aren't. When we look back on this one, we might not remember the full context of this. This might be a game where people don't remember that De Leon was out, you know, right before this, you know, right before the flight to the game. Um, they might not remember how bad the the weather was, um, except for the handful of fans that that went to this one, which you know, good for you guys because also they were coming through on the broadcast um, mm-hmm. pretty loudly because most of uh, Chicago's fans also stayed home. Um, but uh, it'll look you know we'll look back and be like, oh, we drew Chicago, that kind of sucks. But you know, in context, the game was such a mess. It was like this is barely soccer, um, and it's not. United's fault or Chicago's fault that it was barely soccer. It was barely soccer because the weather gods deemed that there should be no soccer and uh, two teams played on in defiance of their will. Um, and well, it's kind, of, it's kind of Chicago's fault because they have the hubris to uh, place a soccer team in such an inhospitable location. I mean, somewhere Hans Backe read about this game or saw highlights and said, ooh, they shouldn't have played that game in those conditions. <laughs> the Hans Baca probably doesn't want soccer being played, I think, is the, the end goal there. Um, it's like, well, it's it's not perfect out, so we shouldn't play. Um, but it, the sun you know, is not shining, and it's not 72.8 degrees. Right. I, I'll give United credit for keeping it simple on a day where they sort of had to, and I think a lot of the strategy was, like, everyone keep it simple, and if Rolf or Acosta finds themselves in space on the ball, look to play in behind, because it, once you play in behind in those conditions, you're you know, defenders are having to spin and sprint. Um, it's very easy to slip up or make a mistake, or you're trying to tackle the ball off somebody, you end up committing a foul or something like that. But it becomes almost like just creating a situation where it's a series of dice rolls because doing anything more than that is it just very, very difficult. Um, even thinking back to the first MLS cup final, which was played in pretty similar conditions, except with maybe more wind. Um, one of the stories from that game that everyone on both sides was like, was like Marco Etcheverry was really good at like scooping his foot up under the ball uh, so that he could get it to go where he wanted it to, rather than just trying to uh, roll it across the ground and hope for the best. Um, But Marco Etcheverry is a special player and Mm -hmm. this game did not feature anyone of his caliber. So uh, this is kind of the outcome. Um, You know, if Chicago doesn't get there, uh, it was a nice finish from Jonathan Campbell. Um, but also, you know, you whip a ball in front and hope someone gets a foot on it um, in these conditions. Yeah. That's really all you can do constructively. Um, if they don't get that goal, if he botches the finish, I think maybe United grabs a goal somewhere in there and, and wins one nothing. But 
the fact that they were down one nothing at halftime uh, and managed to find something out of it, um, you know, good for them. Uh, it's evidence that short corners are not the devil, as as is often uh, the case in in American soccer Twitter. Um, well, especially when you played them to Luciano Acosta. Well, this was actually played to Kemp, who then touched it off to Acosta, right? Like this was a secondary pass, I thought, on the short no, corner. No, no. No, no, it no, was just straight to no, Acosta. No, no, okay. Nagel looked up and saw. I, I don't even know that this was a planned short corner before right. Nagel looked up and been. said, "Oh, Acosta's right there." Um, but you know, this is why you do these things: is that you change the expectation. Everyone's expecting yet another ball through the rain into the box, and and you see what happens. And Chicago is expecting that, and all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, why is the ball going to that other guy? Um, and that might be just that that split second of hesitation might be why Niarco gets open to head in the goal. Um, it is very strange that his goals are both headers. That is uh, bizarre. Um, also, he, I think yes. he's on track now to get to a career high in goals if he yeah. can stay healthy enough to get there, which, you know, knock on wood, that's what happens. But his career high would be five, right? Yes. Like uh, he only has to get five. He's never been a goal scorer, and that's actually been – a reason that I've cited more than once as to why a four-two-three-one isn't as viable as fans want. Um, it works for Acosta. It doesn't work for Niarco or any of the strikers for various reasons. Well, but let's talk he, about if he becomes a goal-scoring threat. There, all of a sudden, it, the argument gets a lot more muddy uh, at this point. Let's talk about that a little bit because Olson did run out a new formation in this one—a four-one-four-one. He had Jared Jeffrey sitting in behind. Uh, the unlikely central midfield combination of, of Chris Rolfe and Lucio Acosta. Um, and it, it worked well enough. The spacing was an issue early on in the game. Um, early, especially early, defensively. Like they had no idea where to be whatsoever. Yeah. They um, kind of figured it out over the course of the game though. And this right. is not a position you ever expect Chris Rolfe to be in again, but I thought Acosta handled himself really well, honestly, in that yeah, position, I mean, given that he's a going both directions, right. Yeah. And, Given his style of play, um, that he wants to have yeah. the ball at his feet, he wants to dribble at people, um, and the rain and the weather said, "No, you can't do that." Um, for the most I part, mean, he I, did still he did still make a couple fire players look foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would still like I would like to see him again in that sort of position in a game that's not in a deluge. But I also thought that having him further up the field in the in Ben Olson's four four two also plays a little more into his strengths. I mean, he did a good job uh, getting back on defense and putting in some tackles and so on and so forth. But I also think that having him up further and having him more just concentrating on the attack is good for him as well. Yeah. And, and what I thought was interesting was that this is the not I, I was about to say the second time. It's really like the fourth or fifth time in a row that Olsen, when he's gone away from a four four two or very close to a four four two, as we saw in the early weeks this year, he's gone four one four one. Um, last year, in all of those midweek games where it was basically the United B team uh, rotating in, that was they, they ended up playing in a four one four one. It was nebulous too, like this one where um, we saw Facundo Coria and Luis Silva both playing Who? attacking midfield, and then. <laughs> They would alternate jumping up alongside uh, the striker in various situations, various players. But um, it happened in Pittsburgh in the Open Cup. It happened in Chicago where we had the Connor Doyle-Asso, uh to win in the rain, um, uh, which I guess maybe that's what the game needed was we needed Connor Doyle. 
Um, sorry, sorry, Leanne. Or something. Um, but, uh, it's it's interesting to me because he also Olson brought up four one four one in an interview with Steve Goff last month, or now it's May. So you know, in March, like late March, I want to say, um, or maybe the first week of April, he had an interview with Goff and he brought up uh, un, unprovoked, brought up a four one four one. So I think we're starting to see a sign that if four four two isn't on the table or if it's not working. That is his first look at this point. And we also saw the one the one game that we've talked about so often last year, the Vancouver game where United was sort of in a 4-1-3-2 and then sort of in a 4-1-4-1 defensively. Um, I think that might be where Olsen's mind is with this general group of players because the, comp- the, the way the roster is put together hasn't changed so much that, though, that that's not a natural instinct. Um, especially if Jared Jeffrey can continue to be a reasonable uh, prospect. I think the one issue with the starters, with the with the full first 11, is that neither Sarvas nor Delion fits in that deep yeah, role. That's the question no. is, uh, Sarvas has been a, done a good job as being the most, the, the most deep-lying central midfielder. But the question is, could he be just a pure number six because that's not something he's ever really had to do on the defensive side especially if united can somehow turn into a completely possession bossing team that might be something every now and again especially against a weaker opponent but mm. the the issue there is i mean i think nick de Leon would be great in that number eight role in front of a right, pure number the, six the isn't but really Savas isn't a six Right. And the thing with Sarvas that we have to remember is that he is also a natural number eight. Um, mm. And the role in the four one four one needs to be more positionally disciplined. You have to stay home. You have to basically restrict yourself to the center. If you divide the field into thirds vertically, you have to stay in that center third. You can't be out to the right or out to the left unless it's an absolute emergency um, and you have cover. Um, and Sarvas's game is predicated on roving around and and when defensively his game is predicated on going around winning balls picking up loose balls things like that um so it would take a level of positional discipline that he has never had to show in mls but i will say he's 30 i mean the guy's 34 going on 35 it is a way to save his legs a little bit by just not giving him as much running to do um it's just a question of can he stick to that and nobody would have expected Davey Arnault to play the position he did for DC United, for example, before he started doing it. So, well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he played that uh, quite a few times in Montreal. Um, in there, or I, I wouldn't say he played exactly that, but in Montreal, he played as the eight in a four-two-three-one uh, a few times. Um, so it was definitely in his wheelhouse a little more than with Sarvas. Where Sarvas, I'm I'm surprised that we haven't that we've gotten what we've gotten out of him because this really isn't what he's been in his time in MLS at all. There's no fallback example. There's no like, Oh, there's a handful of times, you know, he had a handful of games in LA playing on the left and on the right because, uh, David Beckham was uh, in his spot basically. Um, and they didn't expect Beckham to be around. So they were like, well, we got this good player. We got to get him on the field somehow. And And this is what we're going to do. Um, but no, if Sarvas could play that role, if he could learn to stay home, his range of passing and his um, leadership, his intensity, I think it would be great. It's just a matter of can he do the positional work, which is the which overwhelms the rest of it. The other stuff is features. This is like a, a foundational element is 
if he's going to be roving around, you can't you can't get away with him in that role. Yeah, I mean, I guess if anyone could teach him to do so, Ben Olsen could. But yeah, Olsen yeah, did have to learn that transition to himself. Yeah, yeah, he did have to learn to run around a lot less. But yeah, yeah, and at we, the end of his career, he, he was still he basically like Sarvas. Um, yeah. uh, he was still a guy that was looking to jump into the attack and looking to cover a ton of ground, um, and not necessarily having the the makeup to sit in one spot and be patient enough to wait for the chance to make an interception. He's much more of a guy that wants to make a tackle rather than an interception. But he's shown, I mean, he's already surprised us with his ability to be DeLeon's partner and succeed. And if anything, be United's best player thus far this season. Um, Though now I think Niarco is making a bid for that um, status. But in any case, um, he's already overachieved. Uh, He's over exceeded expectations. So maybe it's in there, but um, I wouldn't count on it, I guess is the best way I'd put it. All right. A couple of news items to hit before we take a quick break and bring in our buddy Roth. Um, They both center on Steve Birnbaum, funnily enough. Uh, He was named this week to uh, the U.S. Men's National Team 40-man preliminary roster for Copa America Centenario. This summer, uh, another guy on that list, Perry Kitchen. You might remember him. Um, Yay, yay, Birnbaum. Yay, Copa America. Uh, It won't be depressing and sad at all to see what happens to the U.S. in that tournament. Um, Not that I'm making (laughs) predictions. Um, Also, with Steve Birnbaum, apparently at least one European club, according to uh, reporter Paul Tenorio, formerly of uh, a newspaper in Orlando and before that, the Washington Post. Uh, and now he works in Chicago writing online and, and being the sideline announcer for Comcast Sportsnet Chicago. Uh, he reports that at least one European team has put in a bid for Steve Birnbaum, not just inquired about his availability, not just had discussions, put in a formal offer for Birnbaum. Um, obviously, that would be a really big deal if he left this summer. Um, he's borderline irreplaceable in our defense right now. And so that would be a very big story. Um, yeah. Well, we will see what happens. Um, but I, I think at this point, I expect him to make the roster for Copa America, given his performances in his caps this year. Uh, I think Klinsman would be insane to leave him off, especially since Klinsman doesn't like to bring fullbacks on the, on the roster. The only flaw in that statement is that Klinsman would be insane is not. That's, that's a good you, point. Yeah. yeah. He well, might I mean, do especially since, does. Especially since John Brooks is somewhat injured, may or may not make the final roster. That I think- bounces Burnbaum up. That and and the fact that he was start he started a the first truly high pressure qualifier Klinsman's mm-hmm. had to deal with uh, in this cycle he turned to Burnbaum uh, rather than I mean the he thought put it himself well no and he did and, and the strange thing was the the math behind that the thought process wasn't like all right I need my most trustworthy experienced professionals to get me through this high pressure situation and instead he was like who hasn't let um, me down yet. Four days ago, we sucked, so I'm going to change out a bunch of dudes, and here's a dude um, that he was pretty good that other time, so let's throw him in there, and he's he's got, what, three caps today? Yeah, it's fine. Um, sometimes you stumble onto a solution, um, and I think this and was the Cameron Birnbaum central pairing is that solution, possibly. Uh, and, and and he, I think he deserves uh, to be in that 23. He shouldn't just be making the 40. Um, 
because the U.S. center back situation is kind of a mess otherwise, um, especially in a world where Jeff Cameron may end up getting used at right back or defensive midfield for reasons <clears throat> unknown. Um, or Steve Birnbaum could be used at right back. Who knows? Yeah. Or defensive uh, midfield or forward. Hi, Jurgen. Uh, but uh, no, it's if he were to leave United, I mean, Kofi Opare is pretty good, but he's not Birnbaum good. Um, and I think a lot of fans have been making a plan based on a Birnbaum Opare partnership in 2017, if not sooner. And for Birnbaum to leave, all of a sudden you're, you're now needing to find somebody to replace Boswell before he gets too old. And, you know, you've lost your best defender on top of that. Um, but this is the world we live in in MLS. You're, you develop good players who are still young. They are going to get attention from abroad. Um, the good news is that right now, if a bid came in and it was accepted, there would be money rather than just watching Perry Kitchen playing for uh, some, I'm going to say it, low-level league uh, <laughs> for nothing. We get no, yes, we got S- nothing out SPL of that. sucks. SPL we get, sucks. We could all admit that. I'm glad he's going to Europe. Uh, that's the only – that's the saving grace there, that he is going to go play in the Europa League. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I do find it funny that he walked into their lineup immediately and was like, oh, you guys are – Trash. Okay. Um, and I got immediately this. the fans were like, oh, that guy could be here for this a long time. Great. He should be our captain. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, going to Europe is automatically better than MLS, guys. Um, but in any case, um, right now, Birnbaum's under contract. So if he is purchased, there's money coming in, and it might severely impact United's ability to do anything in 2016, but at least they'll have some way to do something about upgrading their roster in the year that follows. My personal hope would be, you know, Bill Hamid, there's been interest in him for years and they managed to get him to re-sign um, to a big raise, which he fully deserved and everyone was glad he got it. Um, if United isn't going to be the kind of team that goes out and signs high quality uh, foreign imports, if they can't locate them or can't persuade them to come here because Orlando jumps in at the last minute, um, fine, so be it. But, you know, keep the guys you have that are that are good already keep them um pay them and make them happy and make and make other young players that sign with your team say like well you know what if i I could stay here and it's still good and i'm gonna get paid so what's the reason for me to go um and that's that's why signing hamid last year was so important is now it's send you know burnbaum doesn't think oh, i have to leave he has the option of staying it's not unthinkable that he could just make a lot of money being a star center back at DC United with Bill Hamid, maybe his future national team teammate directly behind him. That's not a bad situation um, in his shoes as well as for, for us, obviously it's, it's pretty great. Um, but for him, it's like, you know what? This isn't the worst thing in the world uh, to end up here. All right. And that is actually a surprisingly uplifting note. So let's, let's take a break now and we will be back with Raf Naboa E. Rivera here on filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Well, it's a it's a new season here in DC for DC United and for us here at Filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast. Yay, us! Happy birthday, us! Uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason, you're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You you are doomed. Um, 
This message goes to people in Nova and DC. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but, we'll, but we'll people, in Nova and people in Northern Virginia and DC, that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation. Your civil rights have been violated uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government or you have uh, disability issues or you have uh, a complaint in education law. Then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the, the lawyers there personally. They are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, we are now joined by Raf Naboa E. Rivera, who writes about NYCFC for HudsonRiverBlue.com, our sister site. Raf, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, you know the drill here. We have to ask this to start things off. What are you drinking? Uh, well, I'm not drinking anything right now. I was drinking some seltzer water, um, which is something that we apparently drink a lot of here in New York City. Which is weird because everyone you talk to loves to, outside of New York City, loves to talk about New York's water. Like yeah, the, no, the no, city we have, we tap have water. No, we have excellent water. Our tap water is fantastic. Um, we have one of those like soda stream things. That's what I've been told, and yet you're drinking seltzer. Well, yeah, we we made it with the soda stream. We take the tap water and then we. Oh, okay. Okay. So, All right. So, so, that's so you're I'm... you're living and dying by the sword. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so you're. Your NYCFC, I got to ask this actually off the top. What is the appropriate nickname for NYCFC? I've seen light blues. I've seen sky blues. I've even seen pigeons thrown out um, there. What, what it, do you prefer? What, what should we call them when we're not shouting out a series of letters? Um, that is a work in progress. Um, it's a work in progress. And, and the reason it's a work in progress is because obviously the team's only two years old. Um, so people are still trying to figure out um, what exactly to call the team if they're not going to call it, you know, NYCFC, which frankly sounds a little bit like an okay. NSYNC cover band, you know? Um, so, I, you know, house style at the site, you know, is to call them the Blues um, or New York City, um, just because NYCFC gets a little repetitive after a while. Um, fans have actually come up with the whole Pigeons thing, which I actually kind of dig. Uh, just because it's, you know, it's, it's unique, it's memorable. Um, the thing is that a pigeon is basically a flying rat. And so there are a lot of people who actually take exception to that because they don't like pigeons, um, justifiably. I mean, pigeons are, you know, nasty, nasty creatures. Um, but you know, there are, there are worse things, there are worse things in life to, to be called or to be referred to. And, you know, pigeons is sort of a, you know, it's a unique name in, um, in the cosmology of American team nicknames. So, so who knows? I mean, I like blues and I like pigeons. So the blue pigeons, it is, uh, 
So uh, your Blue Pigeons are coming off their first win since the first game of the season, which yeah. was the first game of the season was one of the best games of soccer to watch all year. If anyone wants to go back and watch an old game on MLS Live for some reason, that Chicago Fire NYC game is definitely the one to pick. Um, yeah. But NYCFC had a nice long winless streak until this weekend, uh, three to two over the Whitecaps this weekend. How are you feeling after that win? Nervous. Uh, nervous, uh, you know, good because obviously it's um, it's always good to win. Uh, there's never anything wrong with winning. Um, nervous because obviously the way that New York City won was because David Villa uh, dragged the team to victory. I mean, he basically put the team on his back and just willed them to victory. And, you know, there, there's a great picture of him after the game, just him lying absolutely prostate on the grass, just absolutely exhausted because he played something like um, three 90-minute games, you know, 270 minutes of soccer um, over the past week. Um, so he had nothing left to give. Uh, and that's really the problem with the team is that they just have no scoring threat besides Villa. You take Villa away and, you know, it's, you know, you got a goal, a couple of goals from McNamara. Um, you got a goal from Steven Mendoza, finally. Um, and then you got like random people who've scored a goal. Um, like, you know, RJ Allen scored a goal and, and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's, it's like not the pinnacle of random goals. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's just, it's not at all sustainable <laughs> over the course of a 34 game season. Um, particularly when you have a striker who's on the wrong side of the, of the age curve. Um, you know, just one wonders, uh, what would happen if he became injured, if he suffered a muscular injury, given how much he's playing. So, and it's a miracle that he hasn't. So that's really the conundrum that they face. And, you know, you would think, well, you know, this is something you could really solve by, you know, picking, you know, a designated player to add to the, to the scoring capability, you know, whether that's another striker, whether that's a number 10, which the team has never had um, for as many midfielders as New York city have had over the course of, you know, 21 games now in the league, they have never once had an actual flat out number 10 um, central attacking midfielder creator who, you know, who can sort of like provide the final incisive pass, um, you know, to, unlock a defense and you know it's crazy to hear that it's crazy to say that but it's the truth and the fact of the matter is that you know they don't have a dp spot and they don't have a dp spot because you know frank lampard has taken up that dp spot and it's not I so mean, much for money. Mean, conducting interviews in england is really important for nycfc well it's not even conducting interviews i mean he was i mean this past saturday i mean he taped in his defense, he taped this before the season, okay? Um, <laughs> but he was – they were basically airing a game show, you know, sort of like a light entertainment, you know, game show kind of thing featuring Frank Lampard um, while the team is basically, you know, doing his thing. He's not training with the team. He's not recuperating with the team. He's suffering from basically um, a bad calf, you know, a gastronemius. And at his age, given the kind of soccer that he plays, I mean, he's basically done. And I think that's – really the problem is nobody's really stepped up to tell him, look, you're done. Um, and I think Patrick Vieira has to have that conversation with him, you know, English star to English star, you know, or Premier League star to Premier League star say, look, it sucks. 
it's a bit like suffering, you know, a death, you know, when you're an elite athlete and you come to the end of your career, um, but you're done. It, there's no way for you to really credibly contribute to this team. Um, you know, if, if for whatever reason he were to come back, um, he would not be a full fitness, you know, and so you have basically got a DP slot that's locked up and the only way it would be opened up is if he were to retire. So, you know, until that changes, you know, NYCFC are, are kind of hoist on a petard, so to speak. So what does, other than Frank Lampard, what does this particular petard hoisting look like? What are Vieira's tactics at this point? He made a lot of heads turn early in the season by running out a WM at home. I don't think that works on the road where, where, where fields are wider than my dining room table, but, but he, he does obviously have some interesting thoughts about tactics. What is it that NYC are doing at this point? Generally speaking. um, So much like Jason Christ had his sort of like diamond four, four, two that he stuck with. Um, come hell, high water. Uh, Patrick Vieira is really sort of very has always been very enamored um, with sort of a four three three, and really usually that's a narrow four three three. You know, four excuse me, four players at the back, um, and then you know a three man midfield. Uh, usually that's looked like some variation of um, Andrea Pirlo um, and. Mixed Discarude or Tommy McNamara. Lately, that's been um, more Mikey Lopez, who's sort of a journeyman, young player type, um, along with Tommy Mac, um, along with either Tommy McNamara or Quadwopoku, um, but usually featuring Pirlo. And so, you know, and then you have three strike, you know, either two wingers and a striker. And obviously, V is the striker. Um, on Saturday, the two wingers were. Um, I believe Tommy McNamara and Kyrie Shelton, but it's been you know some variation of that four three three with different players slotting in different slots. Uh, Raph, I, I guess my first question has to be since we've already um, roundly discussed uh, Frank Lampard and his uh, the <laughs> just giant. Well, your first question has to be McNamara. Well, I, I didn't want to bring I didn't want to do that, but I guess if, if you're the host, I guess I'll I'll follow through on that. Everyone wants to hear you ask about McNamara. All right. Well, I'm I don't want to do any any um, uh, cult based questions. So why don't we focus on actual reality? Um, McNamara started as you mentioned. He he spent some time in the midfield. Then he was dropped for a game or two, and now is back out on the left. Um, I, I guess for our listeners that don't necessarily know what McNamara brings as a, a wide forward versus the rest of NYCFC's wide forward right. options, uh, give us the difference between that group and him. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, basically, Tommy's a little bit more creative than the other winger options that you've got. Um, you're always going to start via. I mean, like not not starting via is just not an option at this point in time. Um, so the question is, where do you play via? And yeah, I think there were a couple of games where via was out in the left, um, which is where he played with Barcelona. Uh, the problem is that you know New York City is clearly not Barcelona, and so um, that experiment justifiably ended. Um, and so now via is basically the striker up top. Um, which is not what he prefers, actually. He actually likes working in from the left and, you know, and cutting inside. Um, but, you know, he's a 
he's a fantastic guy in the sense of you know putting the team before himself and his interests. Um, so you know he's sucked it up and you know played the striker role up top. Uh, the difference between Tommy, like I said, is that he brings a little bit more creativity, a little bit more flair, um, a little bit more ability to sort of create his own scoring opportunities, um, which because there's no creative midfielder type, you know, no number 10, that's really critically important. And if you look at the other winger options that uh, New York City have, you know, that's really the difference between what he brings up and what Steven Mendoza brings. Steven has a lot of speed, but he's not a very, very creative player. You know, he's sort of like, you know, the road runner. He's, you know, if you need somebody to go from zero to 60 on a straight line, Steven's your guy, but you know, he's not really going to be able to create um, off the ball, you know, or on the ball, so to speak. Um, Kyrie's still, you know, a fairly raw product in terms of, you know, you know, he's just basically you're removed from, um, being the second pick in the draft, you know, a couple of years removed from college at Oregon State, which is nowhere near what you would think of as a soccer school. It's not an Akron, for instance. Okay, um, so he's still a fairly raw product. Um, Patrick Mullins, you know, he's he's a good guy, um, but really, you know, his big quality is his ability to finish. You know, he, again, he's not a particularly creative player um, with the ball. Tony Taylor, the same thing, and so. You know, you've got a guy like Tommy McNamara. He's not going to, you know, obviously burn up the ground with speed, but he brings creativity. He brings grit to the table. Um, and so, you know, why not put him out on the left wing where he can go ahead and sort of cut inside, you know, sort of create his own shot and sort of be there. Um, and then, you know, whoever you have on the right wing is whoever you're going to play, whether that's Mendoza, Shelton, um, or Taylor. Those are going to be your three options. Um you know, and then again, that's sort of the thing when you have a three three man midfield, you know, and you've got a glut of midfielders, um, that also allows you to go ahead and have sort of a fourth midfielder on mm-hmm. the table there, you know, particularly on the left. Um, because you you know, Pirlo, bless his soul, um, Pirlo you know, is great at talking about wine. He's a fan he's one of my favorite players in all seriousness. Um, you know, he's a great deep line playmaker. Um, but he's really, really deficient on defense, um, and he really needs a couple of guys basically shielding him, you know. And so, if you've got two guys shielding Pirlo, um, then you know you need to have sort of a creative type midfielder winger, and that's you know McNamara. Uh, and I guess I guess uh, another thing that I've been interested in is watching. Speaking of Pirlo, um, yeah. We've got in DC. We have a Boca Junior, a young Boca Juniors player on loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an attacking player. NYCFC went and got themselves another very young Boca Juniors midfielder, but he's a pure number six. It's uh, Federico Bravo. Yeah. Um, how he he has rapidly gone from a guy who didn't even arrive. Uh, I think he arrived what halfway through preseason, and then. Yep. Over time, it's become abundantly clear that Vieira has seen him as a guy that has to be on the field. Yep. Um, so what is he bringing to the table with this team? And uh, is there an option uh, to replace him or is he really a one-off on NYCFC's roster? He's a one-off. They, I mean, they really needed a number six, um, particularly if they were going to have Pirlo. Um, you know, and, and again, like I said, Lampard's sort of like a black hole, so you can't really count on him. Um you know, and I don't say that to like rag on the guy. I mean, Lampard mm-hmm. is it's a fantastic player. He, and 
He literally hasn't played. Though. Yeah, but he literally has. I mean, <laughs> I think he's only played something like seven hundred minutes total. He did. He did score a goal against DC United, though. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, Which so, is just aggravating, but anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's like one of the three MLS goals that he scored. Actually, um, uh, that being said, though, I mean, you need like a real clear number six. I mean, last season, um, Andrew Jacobson, who now plays for Vancouver, held down that role for New York City. Um, this season, uh, they went out, they got a number six in Federico Bravo, and he's been fantastic. I mean, he's a young player, so he's had his moments and he's had, you know, stretches of gameplay where, you know, he hasn't been great. Um, but you got to expect that from a guy who's, you know, I think like 21, 22 years old. Um, you know, he's still very much in terms of, you know, being a finished product. He's not yet. He's not there yet. Um, but you can clearly see where he's got a lot of talent and he's got a fantastic defensive vision. Um, and, and the way that I would describe that is um, I was actually talking with, um, with, with a player from Europe um, a couple of years ago. Uh, and this is back when I was you know, sort of like trying to teach myself um, sort of tactics and that sort of thing. And, and really not so much, you know, tactics in the sense of, you know, being able to coach it. But, you know, I wanted to get an idea of, you know, if I'm going to be asking players these questions and that sort of thing, I want to go ahead and ask, you know, a little bit better question in the post-game press conference um, as opposed to, you know, hey, how does it feel to have lost? Um, crappy. I mean, obviously, <laughs> how does it feel to have won? Uh, great. You know? Um, you know, I really wanted to get know, an idea. That's kind of all you need. Sure, sure. But, I mean, I really wanted to have an idea of how, you know, players <laughs> approach the game. And what he told me was like a great defender, um, what a great defender will do or a great defensive midfielder will do is he'll actually see the play developing and he'll break up the play before it develops. And so it's not a question of, you know, of him, you know, breaking up a play or, you know, executing a, you know, a fantastic slide tackle or anything like that. It's a question of him being at the right place at the right time so that that play doesn't even have a chance to develop. Um, and you can really see if you watch Federico play, and you you don't see this as much on TV. Um, this is where I wish that we sort of had like an all 22 sort of camera angle, mm-hmm. um, the same way that the NFL does. Um, but you really see it like when you're in the press box and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I like watching Federico you know, move around the field because you can clearly tell that there's intelligence you know, mm-hmm. to where he positions himself on the field. Um, he's not you know, an offensive player that's not, um, that's not his stock and trade. You know, he's there to be a destroyer, a destroyer of plays. Um, and you can clearly see where he's developed, where he's got that vision. You can't really teach that. Um, but he's got that vision. And, um, particularly to me, it's really exciting seeing him, um, being coached by somebody like Patrick Vieira, who was really Mm. like the epitome of that player, um, for Arsenal, you know, that midfield destroyer. And, you know, I think, you know, he's really going to come good. Um, mm-hmm. Whether he comes good for NYCFC, I don't know. I mean, he's still a young player. But I could see, you know, down, you know, a few years down the line where he could be a fantastic midfielder. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm moving backwards through the team now. Um, Bravo, uh, I do agree with you. He's been really uh, a bright spot and, and a needed yep. a needed bright spot for, for NYCFC to, to sort of carry Pirlo Um but behind the midfield has been a back four that just hasn't really been able to uh, meet that level of play. Um, mm-hmm. Who in that group has been 
good. Who's been struggling? And and I guess who do you expect to start? Because I know this weekend Ethan White played right back, which was kind of a, a curveball that that I I didn't see coming anyway. Uh, nobody saw saw that coming. Everybody, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think everybody everybody's happy to either have R.J. Allen. If I had to rank the the three right backs, it would be R.J. Mm-hmm. Allen first, um, and Dona Irola second, and um, and then e- clearly Ethan um, third and last. And nothing against Ethan, but he's basically a reserve player. I mean, that's what he's been throughout his entire MLS career, and it shows. Um, you know, bless his heart. That. He did play right fullback for one preseason for DC United. I remember distinctly <laughs> yeah. Ethan White right. playing preseason games as a fullback. Right. I mean, he's not great, but you know, he you know, he's a roster filler and you know, if your other two right backs, you know, are down injured, which is basically what happened. Um RJ Allen got injured in that Wednesday game right. against um L'Impact du Montreal. Um <laughs> and then he Very um, nice. excellent you know, pronunciation. Yeah, and um you know, he got injured. His ankle was injured, so he was out for Saturday's game. Um, and Andoni Irola was sort of like, eh, he's like at about 70%. Um, again, he's another one of those players that's on the wrong side of 30. Yeah. Um, he's on the wrong side of 35, isn't he? I think he's like 34. He's 33 okay. or 34. Right, so he's, he's my age. So I understand, I understand him being like, guys, I can't do it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a tough season, man. <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, and, you know, and I think that's what European players just don't realize is like, mm-hmm. you know, you're basically traveling from like, you know, Paris to Moscow, and that's like, right. you know, that's not like a like a one off Champions League kind of thing. That's yeah. like a, on the regular. This is every yeah, and then you get there, and the team you're playing against is some furious group of twenty three year olds. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, so that's. So that's basically what's plagued Iraola. You know, he had a really tough time adjusting um, to MLS when he came over last season. And then, you know, he's he's an older player, and um, sometimes you can almost kind of see him. Uh, and I hate saying this, but it's true. You can almost there are times when he's played this season um, when you can almost see him kind of lose focus, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap! You know, mm-hmm. try really fiercely to like catch up on the play, right? Um, because I think. You know, a lot of times it's tough. Again, that transition's tough. When you're going from like La Liga to MLS, you know, you're almost like, okay, like I'm at this level and I got to get down to this level, but it's tough. Um, mm-hmm. um, and speaking of that transition, I mean, somebody who's sort of like making that transition is uh, Frederic Briand, um, who got signed over for the preseason. Briand's actually done fairly well, I okay. think. Um, and I think the thing with Briand is that. You know, again, he's another one of those guys. He's 30 years old, um, so he's right in the sweet spot for a defender, so to figure just off of it. Um, but, you know, he's making that transition from playing in France, playing in Belgium. Um, you know, and, and it's a tough transition for a defender to make because, you know, you're, you grow up playing one way, um, and then you come as a defender, particularly, you come to MLS, and you're like, wait, what? The ref is letting me get away with this? <laughs> oh, hey, okay. I mean, and you, and you saw it. I mean, like, you saw it on Saturday when, mm-hmm. you know, Davi Villa scores that amazing, you know, scissor kick, you yeah. know, to put the team 2-1. But the reason he, he scores, he's wide open um, to score that amazing scissor kick from, you know, on the delivery from Pirlo is because Briant basically set an NBA-style pick. Right, you know, and took out like two Vancouver defenders. You know, the two Vancouver it was really good fundamentals on that pick. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, you could almost, 
you know, and like you can almost, you know, I like watching Briant like after the game because he's almost like, wait, like I'm getting away with murder out here. <laughs> and I'm coming from like, you know, I think he was playing in uh, Ligue 1 last, uh, last season, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ligue 1's like a yeah. defensive league. You know, like they play some pretty brutal right. defense it's, in France. It's conservative. It's physical. A yeah. lot of big, strong guys slamming into each other. Yeah, um, he's just. You can tell that he's just like, wow, I can get away with murder out here. Yeah, so like any terrible idea I had before that I was like, well, come on, that's too much. Now it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's yeah, wide I mean, open. Like a, yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if he starts like delivering nut taps. You know, <laughs> your know, next game. You know, whatever. He's like, what? What? My hand twitched. You know, I have a benign tremor. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so, so Briant's been okay. I mean, um, Jason Hernandez is sort of like the one guy who's left over from last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that there's some continuity there. I mean, Hernandez is not a great, you know, he's not a great defender, but he's, you know, he's solid enough. Um, and I think really the bright light um, of the defense is Ronald Matarita, you know, from Costa Rica. Um, I mean, Madrid is just that sort of like win back kind of guy who just loves running that channel up and down the left side. Um, and I think if I had to rank the defenders, I would go, you know, Madrid, Briant, Hernandez, and then, you know, Ethan White, um, you know, or, or RJ Allen, um, or Irola. And nothing against those three guys. Um, but RJ Allen's literally a guy that we signed off of, you know, right. off of the, off the street. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, has got that sort of like focusing problem. It's it's funny how many of these players have some sort of connection to DC. RJ Allen had a trial uh, with yep. United at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan White is a homegrown product, and yep. our, our fans might remember Ronald Matarita, the left midfielder, uh, when he was with Alajuelense, who completely ruined our Champions League hopes almost single handedly uh, yep. last winter. Uh, not or I guess I, now two winters ago. Um, yep. now he, he's, he is more of a left back naturally, but in that game he was put he was forward left at midfield. left midfield and told to do whatever. He, yeah. And it was like, basically do whatever you want, man. Just cover as much ground as you can and be all action. And it, he was unplayable. Um, so it's yeah. not, I'm not necessarily happy to see him suiting up for somebody else. I feel like that should have been like, we're looking at the guy, like how, how do you leave the field and not have a contract in hand? But, uh, yeah, yeah you no, know, totally. We, totally. We no, did was- not. We did not react well to that. <laughs> True. I mean, and I think you know. And again, I mean, we could talk. We could talk at length about some of the issues that DC United has had um, in terms of you know being able to sign players and that sort of thing. I mean, um, I, I think. Oh, we have in a, in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. I mean, I think here's the thing. I think that there are some really interesting parallels between New York City um, and and a team like DC United because I think. Um, you know, with DC United, you've got a team that, you know, they would like to sign these players, but because they don't have a stadium yet, um, because, you know, they don't have, because, you know, Eric Thohir um, is apparently interested in, you know, buying every other team, you know, in random leagues, but not particularly investing, um, you know, in DC United, let's say, um, you know, you sort of have your hands tied, Whether whereas with New York City, um, yet you've got all kinds of money that can be deployed, but you don't have a particularly apt front office. Um, you have a front office that's sort of, you know, still trying to figure out how the league works um, and how they can go ahead and sign players and that sort of thing. I think they've done a better job of it this off season 
than they did last offseason, um, but still very mm-hmm. much a work in progress. So, Ross, my one question is about your goalkeeper in Josh Saunders and <laughs> his – yeah, I- I- exactly, and his lack of excellent play this season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is, is he – can he be the goalkeeper at the end of the season for NYCFC if they're going to be a playoff team? Or is, are they going to have to upgrade that position uh, during the summer if they're going to have a chance? Um, He's man, asking that, because we will trade you Tally Hall for Thomas McNamara straight up. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Um, I'll, I'll drive him up. <laughs> I'll drive him up 95. We will uh, deliver him. <laughs> uh, we're not interested. Thank you. Um, oh, uh, that's fair. It was worth a shot. It was. It was. Um, it's it, that's a real tough question for me to answer because I genuinely like Josh Saunders as a person, right? Um, yeah. And I think he's got, you know, for him to to have basically put together the kind of season that he put together last season when nobody expected that from him, after basically having his knee destroyed. Um, right. After dealing with you know addiction um, and and that sort of thing you know and all the other you know personal issues that come from that uh, was just you know nothing short of a miracle and so it's re- it's been really tough for me specifically um, watching him deal this season because he's clearly regressed um, and, and the thing of it is is that I think he's regressed. Not because he's a bad goalkeeper, although he's clearly playing. He's clearly his play is clearly probably the worst in the league. I think I would say. Um, I, I think a lot of it is mental. Um, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, um, I think pitcher. I think goalkeeper is one of those positions like um, like being a pitcher, where you know ninety percent of that position is mental. Um, and if you don't have that mental game on lock, then you're just flailing. And that's what I that's what I see this season. I see the thing is Patrick Vieira wants to distribute from the back, um, which is great, fine. I mean, you know, in theory, that's you know perfectly fine. That's um, you know that's just as valid as you know any other way of starting play. Um, the problem is that. Josh has never been a great quarterback, you know, a great quarterback, a great um, um, goalkeeper with the ball at his feet, so to speak. Sorry. Um, He's never been great with the ball at his feet in terms of distributing from the back. I mean, even when he was with um, the LA Galaxy, um, with, you know, some of the other teams that he's been with, you know, that's just never been a strength of his. Um, And the really interesting thing is that if you look at the preseason, um, Eirik Johansson, with um, with whom Vieira is actually familiar with because Johansson was an EDS product, mm-hmm. um, was the guy that he really played a lot during the preseason. And, you know, Johansson was, you know, perfectly adequate in terms of, you know, starting distribution with the ball in his feet and so on and so forth. And then, uh, then he went to Saunders as his starter. Um, and so, and you can tell that Saunders is not at all comfortable with the ball in his feet. Um, he's still getting used to sort of the back line and that sort of thing. There have been a lot of changes there. Um, and, you know, with, you know, with the, 
team going into a winless streak, with him giving up some really, frankly, easy goals that he didn't give up last season, um, you can sort of see his confidence sort of like go down and down and down and down and down. Um, and I think really sort of like the climax to that was Saturday. Um, you know, 36 seconds into the game, you know, he's got the ball in his feet and he's kind of like, oh, God, you can really see the yips. And I'm sitting in the press box and I'm like, all right, just boot the ball, just boot the ball, you know. And instead, he's, you know, he's trying to pass it. You know, he gets dispossessed by Mesquita and then Octavio Rivero just, you know, basically, you know, scores on an empty day. Let's not forget, Octavio Rivero nearly missed an open net goal. Right, um, exactly. Which I think tells you more about Octavio Rivero. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, I was just like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, Rivero nearly was the goat in that play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he wasn't. You know, and, you know, 42 seconds into the game, you're down, you know, 1-0. And, you know, you can oh, tell. Oh, yeah, we know, we know that. <laughs> we know, you know all that. about that. <laughs> but, you know, to me it was really it was really fascinating because I'm in the stadium and, and you're hearing, you know, you you hear the crowd and there's like a buzz and then that buzz just basically just shut down. I mean, um, that crowd from, from that point on until, um, until New York city, you know, scored the equalizer was a dead crowd. Um, and I think, I don't know, man, uh, Fiera said in the post game remarks that he was going to stick with Saunders. Um, I don't know how valid that is because I just think, the guy needs a break, and I think if Vieira is really, you know, bound and determined to start play um, in that, you know, sort of fashion, you know, with a goalkeeper, you know, playing the ball, you know, off his feet, then Saunders is not that guy. He's going to have to go with Johansson, you know, and Johansson's a young guy. I mean, he's only like 22 years old, um, but he's six seven, so he's huge. Um, you can't teach height. Um, um, I think. I think the problem with um, with doing that, though, is that if you bench Saunders, then whatever confidence he has left is gone. Um, and then I think you're also kind of throwing the towel on the season a little bit, you know, um, if you're basically benching your starting goalkeeper. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I I think the season um, it's kind of it's kind of dunzo a little bit. <laughs> Anyway, because it's really tough for a team, you know, to not really get. I mean, this is the first home home victory um, of the year, and you know, they had lost. I think the last two home games, the last you know previous season. So, you know, I think to say that this was a playoff team was a little bit of a stretch. I think it definitely had that potential, but I mean, you know, anytime you go on a seven game winless streak, then that kind of puts you in a hole. Unless you get Jermaine Jones from a blind draw or something. See, I, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, unless you find yourself in this year's Eastern Conference. Or or that. This year's, <laughs> yeah, if anybody's well, going to do it, it might be a team this year's We're all not very East. good. Yeah, yeah, Rough. no, no. I, I think, that, I think but, that's, that's, a very, that's a very valid point. But this is not like a good team. Let, let's be very clear. Right. Few of us are at this point. Ralph, last question before I get you out of here. Um if you were in Ben Olsen's uh, brightly colored shoes this weekend, how would you be game planning against NYCFC? Um, I think your, your first, I mean, your first moves are basically going to be to, 
your first and biggest move is probably going to be to shut the you know via down. I think if you shut via down, um, if you basically body him and just prevent him you know getting open that sort of thing, then you're really putting a huge burden on everybody else to make up for via's play, and that's not something that um, to this point New York City have shown themselves capable of doing. Um, I, can they do it? Yes, I think they actually do have. Um, enough talent so that David Villa shouldn't be like the only scoring option. Um, you know, I think, you know, somebody obviously, you know, Tommy McNamara has shown himself, you know, capable of scoring goals. But I mean, you know, you've got, you know, somebody in Steven Mendoza who should have scored, you know, more than just the one goal he scored, you know, so far this season. Um, Mullins, you know, should have scored a, a couple of times. You know, Kyrie Shelton should have scored a couple of times. Um, you know, this team does have some some level of talent. Um, but the very, the first and biggest move would be to shut down David Villa. You know, body him, mark him out of existence. Um, and then the next thing that you do is you basically um, force, you know, Andrea Pirlo to defend. Um, and so you pressure the heck out of Pirlo. Um, you know, you have people running at him and that sort of thing. I think that's your second move. Because if you're forcing Pirlo to defend, then, you know, he's not creating. Um, and it's not like he's doing a whole lot of creating to begin with, but if he's not creating, then nobody else on New York City's roster is creating. Um, I mean, not even Tommy at that point. You know, it's every man for himself, and you're forcing him to defend, which he's not very good at. Um, and I think, again, if it's, you know, Ethan White on the right, then I think, you know, you're channeling your attacks down the right, you know, because that's clearly, you know, where the left side might be the strong side. For New York City, the right side is clearly the soft underbelly um, because, you know, they've, they're going to have, you know, a mediocre at best winger there, um, whether that's Shelton or whomever. Um, and they're going to have – and unless Iraola is starting, you know, they're going to have, you know, a replacement level player in Ethan White. So, you know, I think that's – if you're going to find success against New York City, it's going to come down that right side. Um, clearly, Chicago showed you how to do that. Um, you know, in the very first game of the season, um, they clearly exploited that, you know, in the return game. Um, you know, when we, pl- when we played them at Yankee Stadium. So that would be the third thing that I would do. You know, and I think, you know, Olsen strikes me as the kind of guy, obsessive coach that basically would have that kind of game plan. Yeah, his players, uh, Davey Arno and Bobby Boswell said that Last year's DC United team and the the 2014 team were among the most prepared teams they've ever ever played for as far as game planning and yeah. scouting the opponents. So hopefully uh, we we see some of those points on Saturday. Roth, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, not a problem. Always happy to come. All right, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online, real quick? So we are at www.hudsonriverblue.com, um, and we are at. If you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Hudson River Blue, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hudson River Blue. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, we accept questions and comments, and advertising inquiries find us on itunes find us on stitcher find us on soundcloud mostly though tell a friend 
about the show when you're at the tailgate on Sunday night. For Jason and Ben, thanking Roth once again, I'm Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Go Caps.